0: Welcome to this week's episode of Grow or Die. My name is Alora Chestikov, and I am from Firebird Summit. My partner in this podcast is Lawrence Henderson from Boss LLC. Every week, we meet and discuss coaching topics relative to professional development, personal development, business, and entrepreneurship. Join us and see if there's anything else you'd like to add to the conversation. (music) Well, oh, hello, hello, and welcome back. I am Alora Chestikov from Firebird Summit.
1: What's up, everybody? I'm Lawrence Henderson from Boss LLC. It is amazing and great and always a pleasure to be back with you, Alora.
0: And you as well, Lawrence. We have not had an episode of Grower Die in a little while. So I'm glad to get the chance to get back to it. Mm-hmm. So alrighty, we are heading into summer. It's kind of a nice like getting out and refreshing kind of time, and one of the things that I see a lot uh, in myself, if not other people, is, you know, kind of shaking off the winter cobwebs and getting out, and you start feeling the joints creak and crack and move, and you're like, wow, when did I, ah, I fit into these shorts last summer, and now they don't anymore, and And it's funny because I think, you know, a lot of us kind of go through that to some extent, you know, many years after a couple of years of COVID, I think a lot of us have a more extreme version, but there's also kind of like that just time when you start waking up and you realize, oh, I can't really see across the room anymore without my glasses or, and it's really kind of that like midlife thing. And, you know, you and I have had a lot of different conversations over the past couple of years about things that change and things that don't change and how your priorities change and values and all of those things. And I really kind of want to come back to that. So I just I just finished reading Arthur Brooks's new book, uh, Strengths to Strength. And it's a great book and I highly recommend it as well as his, um, his uh, series in the Atlantic Monthly about building a happy life. But what I really want to talk about that was very much the heart of his book is that there is a normal change in our bodies. And we think about it, I think, Frequently, in terms of just phys- pure physicality, right? We know that as we get older, especially if we don't do as much physical exercise or labor, we have, you know, some degradation of muscle mass and we're not, I'm, and bone density and things like that. Eyesight, I like said, like my big painful one that the older I get, <laughs> my eyesight gets. And it shocks me sometimes how bad I feel like it is. Um, but a big part of what he's talking about is that I think we have historically underestimated that there's actually a cognitive part of that as well. And so he breaks down, he breaks things down into sort of what he calls two different intelligences, one that you have when you're younger, and you're really fast and really sharp, kind of that like, super aggressive, high adrenaline, you know, capacity that you have when you're younger. And he refers to that as fluid intelligence, which is very, you know, like quickly on the ball, fast calculations, keep a billion things in your head at once, you know, a lot of mental juggling kind of stuff. And then part of the the change in your prefrontal cortex as you get older, helps kind of gradually transition into what he calls um, uh, contextual, or sorry, crystallized intelligence, which is more about context. It's more about pulling different ideas together. It's a lot more relational in its nature. You're more Kind of, you get more interested a little bit in the human, in, you know, human relationships and the human impact and things. And it's funny because as I as I was going through the book, I kept thinking, this is so clear why so many people go into coaching as kind of that second career, right? When we were in our coaching training, most of us were our age. We were most of us were in our early forties, you know, about that time where we'd come from a career that we might have really, really loved at one point, we'll kind of just hit the point where kind of wasn't doing it for us as much anymore, maybe, or, or we didn't necessarily feel like we could always compete, right? Because in a lot of those, when you have like that sort of brute force competition, you know, there's always a new 24-year-old coming up behind you who's like ready to go and they're ready to work 80 hours a week. And as you get older, you're like, Yeah, not so much to that whole 80 hour thing anymore. I'm, I'm, you know, yeah, I I did do that once upon a time, but not sure I'm feeling it so much these days. And so what I really liked about his book was he talked about how there's a lot of scientific reasons for it. There's been a lot of really interesting research, um, particularly around how some different fields kind of experience different peaks in people's ages, kind of in terms of peak performance. But what his real point was more than anything else is that you know, we'll often kind of joke about it as like a midlife crisis. And his point more than anything else is, if you understand why it's coming and you don't try to, you know, be a salmon fighting upstream against the realities of the changes in your body and your brain, it doesn't have to be a crisis. You can start looking at ways to make different decisions and look at ways to pivot your career and take advantage of the things that you've gotten good at that you probably weren't good at when you were 24, but that over time, as you kind of go through this, if you can accept those changes and accept the advantages that come with them as well, you can actually make decisions that help kind of transition you into a different phase of your life and your career. And don't turn it into a crisis that completely you know strips you of your identity and everything else yeah. so that's really what i want to talk about today so that's
1: that's amazing yeah that's amazing because what as you were talking um, what are the things and i think transition is 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 a key word in kind of wherever you place that at right and i think You know, you got the age of it all in the workplace, right? And there being five generations represented in the workplace, and whatever that means. And I think for us, that's a great, I like kind of marker where we entered into coaching um, as a you know career field and as a change and a meaningful change. And I think me transitioning out the military, that connection point, that drastic kind of life transition of okay, I'm no longer that or identify full time with something but okay so what's my next and I think a lot of times when you think about moving from thing to thing it's the uh the fear of will what I was good at before transition with me and and I think that is a scary thing that keeps people from even making that leap and you think you talk about physically I mean I'm doing that now where I'm standing up and I'm like it takes it takes it i got like where's the wd-40 um because i need to like grease some wheels uh before i start moving too quickly uh, and I'm,
0: isn't it isn't it hilarious how when you especially if you've been sitting for a while and you go to stand oh, yeah. up and you groan and you're like oh my god when did i become my parents oh
1: <gasps> yep sitting yeah. down like in all the commercials and tv shows like when people sit down and you make noises you'd be like oh god it's me it's me um yeah. And I think that is a that's a this is an amazing topic to tackle. And when you what, what has this coming up for you uh, as of late?
0: So you know it's funny because when I started my career in technology, I was a project manager, and I was a really damn good project manager. One of the reasons that was true is because I could keep a whole ton of really complicated technical detail in my head at any given point in time, and so I could be going through my work day. Back in the days when I actually worked in an office surrounded by people and I could walk around the office and any given person at any given point in time could stop me. I could be away from my desk and say, hey, where is X, Y and Z for the project? And I knew where it was off the top of my head, who was doing it, when they were going to be done, when it was going into testing. Like I, I knew all of that. And I and that actually worked. To my advantage in a lot of ways because it meant that I could get involved in bigger and more complicated things that small that you know people who weren't as, as strong or confident would shy away from. And those were really kind of the more you know messy, bigger, more ambitious types of projects. And so I always found myself you know quick to dive into those, quick to volunteer for those because they were the more exciting and interesting ones. And the thing that I really struggled to explain to people over the past 10 years is why I can't be a project manager anymore. I can't do that anymore. I can't, like, I can't kind of stay focused in that level of detail and it's funny now because you know in my <laughs> during my day I'll be in conversations with project managers and I'm you know sort of trying to stick it at a 30,000 foot view and I'm watching them work or I'll, I'll sit in on a meeting and they'll start popping between tickets and they know oh well this particular issue has this ticket number and they just like plug in the ticket number and they know exactly which one it is and exactly where it is and which developer has it which country that developer is in and what kind of timeline and I'm watching it thinking And it was very, and I, I was really struggling to kind of explain why something I used to be so good at is now so difficult for me. And so actually this book made me feel a ton better because again, like the physical stuff, I think we all fully appreciate, right? We all know that a professional athlete, if they're lucky, has like maybe five good years like the great ones can go longer but overall the average is super super short because we don't expect our bodies to you know stay at the peak performance that you can get as a 20 year old right if you're 20 years old and you are practicing every day and you've got coaches and you've been on it since you were you know eight years old like you're going to be in top form and we expect that i think we frequently and this is again a point he makes in the book we kind of underestimate that there's a, there's a corollary to the brain and especially your prefrontal cortex, which is, you know, where all of that kind of fast processing, you know, work that we do as knowledge workers really kind of exists. And the idea that there is a decline in the performance there is totally normal for age. According to the research he cited in the book, it's uh, depending on, you know, kind of what you do in your field and things It basically averages from, sort of the decline kind of starts, anywhere from your late 30s to your early 50s. So basically your 40s, just where you're going to feel it. Um, and, that, that, and that that's normal. And it's not. And so part of what his, his point in the book, and one of the things he, he really spent a lot of time on was that if you identified as a successful high performer, when you were younger, and you start going through that decline, and you're still very attached to that identity as a high performer in that field, all you're going to you're going to find yourself on a hamster wheel because you just have to work harder and harder and harder to keep up with where you were. while again, you get, you know, 25 year olds coming on board who are doing it effortlessly. And they also have the physical stamina of being 25 and having no problem working 20 hour days.
1: And I think that that is a, that is a huge distinction you just made because I'm in this process in this season of when I coach a leader and I coach a client helping them, you know we i i call it like how do we collect the win right and and the win in context and and the win as what's important now and in the way you just frame that in and again i think there becomes a, a need to redefine and put into context and really become realistic with where you are so that you could begin to reframe what winning in this season of life looks like for you because i could see how someone could just hold them like be so hard on themselves I mean me I just started with a new gym at the beginning of of March and you know ex-NFL football players the lead trainer we're doing sled work we're doing all this stuff and I'm with the 425 a.m crew and I'm looking at all these other guys and and gals and 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 I'm like man I why can't I do what they're doing when again army me was doing this and I was like Dudes, you've been out the Army for seven years now, and you haven't worked out this level of workout probably ever in your life since high school football. Like, put it into context, buddy. And then one of the things, and I love that it happened for me, when he said out loud, he was yelling at one of the guys one day, and he goes, he said, he got an excuse. He been here for two weeks. You ain't got no excuse. You've been here for five years. And I'm like, dang, I was trying to compare myself to people who like, and again, I was like, but what was I? And it was like, I was trying to pull that person forward. I was like, no, who are you now? Yeah. Who are you today and who do you want to be? And my thing is now, I just want to be, you know, sexiest husband in the room. And then, you know, in the end context, that would mean to my wife. So I'm only just trying to be her. To her level. Of, when I get to her level of sexy, mission accomplished. I'm good. <laughs> Um,
0: well, and you know what? Actually, that gets us to the other really big thing in his book, and you know, he cites the the uh, lifetime Harvard study for happiness and things like that. But a big part of his point too is, you know, a lot of a lot of high performers who he refers to as strivers, who you know, in their early parts of their career, just hit it hard, and they they were all about it. They identified as their as their career. They prioritized their career. They probably sacrificed a lot of relationships. To make their career, and then they hit this midlife point, and they're like, "Oh crap! Now what? I can't, I can't keep that pace anymore. The next generation's on board, and they're starting to eclipse me. I got to do something else. And oh yeah, by the way, look around. I've burned down my marriage. I have no relationship with my kids. Uh, my parents are, you know, on their decline. I have almost no friends left. Now what the hell do I do? Because I've just made a mess of my personal life at the expense of a career that is now." moving way past me and I don't even want it and a lot of kids I don't even want it anymore and so this was a really big thing that you know is part of the book is that again part of the it doesn't have to be a crisis but it is a transition and when you come into this point in your life and you look at it you're like okay well looking down the barrel at 50 and my brain says hey you know what every piece of research on the planet says that the degree of satisfaction you have at 80 it is largely based on the relationships you have in your life based at 50. So guess what? How are you gonna prioritize where you're at now? You've got to repivot how you're doing things, how you identify what you think is important to you, what you prioritize, what you make time for. And I think, you know, to me that that's always one of those Stats that came out of the that has come out of the Harvard study is that how how satisfied you are with your life at 80 is a direct correlation to the state of the relationships you have in your life at 50, and that is such a powerful thought. And and he draws on that a lot. But again, his point is a lot of people who are very high performers in their career up through their 30s and into their 40s have done a lot of damage to a lot of relationships. And by the time you're coming into your 40s and looking around. Start deciding which pieces are important to pick up.
1: Wow, that is, and again, and I and I love again the title, and I'm I'm, I love words and kind of that strength from strength of strength, and 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 again when you talk about you never if in that research and being the truth of it in the data of, hey, the truth is you didn't build relationships, and then now in this area where life is shifting and things are pivoting and you're reframing what it's important for you and all these things. And to think that the next 30 years of your life is dependent on your ability to build relationships. And one thing that we talk about you know, a lot of times with coaching clients is that ability uh, to even understand what your stuff is so you can connect with others. Like, how do you connect? And I think for a lot of people, by the time they get to this point of that late 30s to 50, it's like, like you said, we've the old school model was put your head down, grind, work hard. And so now people are running into this wall. And I think these youngsters, uh look, look look at me sounding old. Um, they figured this thing out when they, you know, kind of, hey, I want, I want something, some work, life priority, uh, that, in, that encompasses relationships and in these types of things. And I think relationship as a strength, relationship as a life practice, um, is I think something that we in today's age, if COVID didn't teach us anything from being isolated and all the rest of that is, hey, what are the value of the relationships that you have closest to you? And I know for me, I got work to do. Um, And and I know, you know, again, a lot of us to to prioritize, what do I want to, who do I want to hang out with when I'm 80? Um, Yeah, like, like, literally, like, I'm like, who, who would I still invite over at 80? Um.
0: (laughs) well and that I think is to me it's another that was another really interesting point about the book and you know I've told talked about this before how when my grandmother uh, moved into the home that she's in she really struggled to make friends because and it wasn't until that point in time that she realized how much she had always depended on my grandfather to drive that well my grandfather and work because she she was a teacher so she had friends you know that were work friends and, and things like that but that you know it was the first time in her life like as a totally solo entity, she was responsible for building and making friendships and she didn't know how to do it. And she was, you know, 95 years old or sorry, 85 years old. And like she was stuck in a totally new environment and looking around going, now what do I do? And, and I was watching her at the time thinking, wow, that's sad and kind of heartbreaking. And it's hard to watch her struggle and try to figure it out. Um, And then going back to, you know, the book, I kept thinking to myself, okay, so grandma's issue was that she would relied on my grandfather for that. And after he died, she was like, oh crap, I gotta learn to swim on my own. (laughs) Didn't ever plan on that. You know, mine was, oh no, I prioritized work for so long that I have let a lot of friendships atrophy and I've let my friendship muscles atrophy in the process so I have to get back to that and so you know that to me is another thing another point that he made actually that was really interesting is that and we've seen this research before also obviously is that you know women tend to make friendships based on kind of emotional support and men take tend to build friendships more around common activities and so again one of the things that becomes a real challenge is is how do you again say you're you know Pushing fifty, and you're like, okay, I got to prioritize this. Coming back to trying again and starting over, like trying to figure out how to do that when you know maybe the physical activities. You know, guys who used to play basketball together, who might not be in a position to play basketball anymore, are like, well, crap. Now what do I do? How do I how do I make friends now?
1: Yeah, and and I'm thinking about you know me me never taking that shot at underwater basket (laughs) weaving. We might need to take it out, right? Just to find a, just to find some new friends and commonality. But I th- that I think that really speaks to why I I so love coaching as a community, um, because it, again that alignment not only in activity but in purpose, in work, and all the rest of those things. And and I think those are the relationships. the if you call it low hanging fruit to where, where to start, right, to, to find those commonalities so that, you know, you're not trying to over engineer a conversation or pull something out of the air to try and connect, but really have those kind of communities of practice that you can really engage with folks in a meaningful way. And I think for me, what's really important in this season of life is that ability to do this, this banter with other people. is extremely important for me and not anybody who is trying to land the biggest point but us just have really good dialogue and with each other to where i'm like i'm not looking at my watch after five minutes of a conversation and be like all right we maxed that topic out um okay anybody want to drink and, and so and kind of going from there but we can really hold that attention which is extremely important for me just being able to banter and that's that's been from childhood and and now like you you pulling this topic in like i didn't i never realized how how important that was for me to be able to do this banter with with folks um meaningful banter not just talking for the sake of talking like i hate i hate sports talk i love sports but i hate sports talk like i like i i can't stand it like i'm the dude that goes mute when everybody starts talking sports and athletes like i'm just like here we go <laughs>
0: no it's actually but that's actually i think a really a really interesting point right because that in and, and back to the the sort of common relationship dynamics right because how many guys like get together and they'll talk about sports because even if they can't necessarily play together or the actual like activity itself might be you know pa- they might be past the point of doing that so then i feel like that that conversation about it can serve serve as kind of a substitute which I think is is probably something that that I hadn't thought about until you just mentioned that.
1: And I think that that goes into even the work that we do right and because I can remember you know my dad um, before he passed like all of his friends that I knew were all educators and coaches and in in so much Of a person's life was where they worked in the relate those relationships where when I got into work after the military I was like what do you mean people aren't friends at work like I watched my my father and my parents like I watched that be a real thing like the people and then you
0: were and then you were in the army where you're living with them you're all together all the time
1: get drunk together we're getting like I mean it was a whole thing like but but now I'm thrust into this world where people don't connect like that or they don't believe it's important to have friends at work. And, and I think you you talked about that Gallup best friends at work poll and all the rest of those things. And I'm just like, look, the data is here that we spend so much time in these worlds. Like, okay, how do we grow together? Like, and I really think that like, that's the point. And, and I can't wait to get my copy of this book. Um, that I've ordered already, um, so that I can really lean into this because I really believe it's, it's not, you know, how kind of, where are we going, but where are we growing? And and I think that those connections along that journey, though, like that's what grows the roots of, of relationship and connection, um, is can I grow with you? And, and again, not everybody, not everybody's going to be your, your cup of tea and and they not, nor should they be, but it's like, like you said, finding those meaningful relationships that when we're 80 and we're like we can't, we can't go to the gym anymore, but we can walk around the neighborhood, who's that? Right? Yeah. And we could stroll around the neighborhood with.
0: So it's funny you mentioned that, actually, because that was another interesting point in the book that he talks about is that how, um, especially, again, this driver group that he's really talking to that was all about getting into, you know, really advancing their career and getting into leadership positions, that leadership positions are especially lonely and have the hardest time building relationships at work because they end up, no matter how much they try, or how much they want to, they can't really end up feeling comfortable being relationships, being good friends with people that work for them. And so if they don't have a peer group, and I remember thinking back to myself that, you know, I've had had two completely different experiences, right? One where I was the CEO of a company, and I was unbelievably lonely, and it's because I didn't have a peer group at all. And then I was a vice president at a much bigger company, but my cohort, I was one of four VPs in my division, and we made it was the best experience, even though technically, like, I'd always wanted that COO job, like, that was the title I thought I wanted, that was the goal I was going after, and later, you know, BP, and depending on how you want to look at it, is, you know, not as elevated a role, but it didn't matter because there I had a peer group that we were really good friends, I had a fantastically good friend that, you know, we we hung out all the time, we traveled together, we worked together, we had so much fun, and, like, for, for me to be experience something so drastically different was a really clear example of what he was talking about how you know there's so many so many places where again if you sacrifice your personal life for work you know you can you can really find yourself in positions where you're surrounded by people that you might like them a lot and they might even like you but when you have a really complicated, especially if you're in a very political environment, but you have a problematic power dynamic in your basic relationship, it can absolutely stand in the way of you of you really becoming true friends outside of a work context. And yes, it can still be incredibly valuable and meaningful for you to have that relationship at work. But then the question is, okay, we both leave that job and you go someplace else, how much of that can last and actually become you know, a long-term friendship beyond that point. And so that was a really, really interesting thing. And I kept, that's actually, I kept thinking about you coaching leaders and stuff when I was reading that part and really identifying with the dichotomy he was, he was illustrating.
1: Yeah, and you, man, that's, so that 100% makes sense of why these master like I've been, I've been pinged a lot lately about mastermind groups for leaders who are not in the same organization. And it's to build these communities of practice with each, like just a community of leadership. And the more research that I get into as it pertains to how leadership is viewed in the grand scheme of things, it's evolving. And and one of the biggest things that I'm seeing now is leaders who have the ability to do what we're talking about is, is flex and transition and be what moments need them to be, where before it was, Hey, what leadership framework are you a, are you a disciple of? and all the rest of these things? And it's just like, guess what? That used to be a thing. Now the world we live in is requiring hey some you to be nimble, you to be pliable, you to be flexible. And if you only deploy one style of leader, like then then that means you don't know how to actually be what your people need you to be in these moments that matter. And I think having a community of leaders where we could talk about this, right? Like at seven o'clock today, like I look like that's why I love being Professor Henderson and able to like talk leadership with young leaders. And now my online students are working professionals. Some of them are leaders real time that are coming back to get their undergraduate degree to have these conversations of, hey, y'all should be community with each other. Because just what you said, if I don't know, if I don't have a network, to be able to unleash these things on, then you are stuck in that bubble of, I'm trying to figure this thing out by myself, which can be this kind of inherent, lonely kind of cage of things. And no, like nobody knows the trouble (laughs) I see. Like, and I'm like, no, get off of that loop, get off of that wheel so that you can intentionally create community. Um, And so when you think about just how do people not only shake themselves loose, to be like, okay, I need to find, like, look, phone a friend, um, find a friend. How, how, how are you like now looking at ways for you personally to develop these communities for yourself?
0: So it's been interesting. So I've always been, you know, I've, we moved back to my hometown last summer and the, the best part about it for me outside of my family has been has been my friends. And so my friends here are mostly from my first job, which to me is like the boot camp experience. It was kind of the college experience that my normal college thing didn't really give me. It was a group of people who, at the time, we were part of a startup. Um, we survived the bubble burst back in 2000 that none of today's youngins are old enough to remember. Um, But we were a group of people who at the time were all like the same level. We were all peers and we weren't necessarily all in the same department or had the same job, but we were all part of this like early group at this particular startup. And since then, we've all gone in different directions, but we've stayed friends. And I've always found it very interesting that that group from that particular time and place, even though we all kind of scattered to the wind, still managed to stay friends. And one of the reasons that, one of the things I liked about this book was it kind of helped me understand that because in subsequent roles, I, I, you know, I did find myself being the boss or being where it was harder to build those relationships with my team as the boss. At that point in time, Nope, none of us were boss. We were all just, you know, in the pool piling on together trying to, you know, make stuff work. And so um, the fact that 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 those friendships have held together is interesting to me and I this book kind of gave me a new light to cast on why that was. Um, And so some of that was extremely interesting. So when you asked me that question, one of the things that I've been doing more, partially because I'm home and around these people that I haven't lived near in almost 20 years, is um, kind of going back to people who do me before, right? I think there's, and and sometimes sometimes family can do it. Sometimes it's old friends, um, you know, and sometimes that can be awkward because if you haven't spoken to someone in a while, it's like, what, what where are you coming from? <laughs> I haven't talked to you in 15 years, um, but I think there's sometimes some really interesting value in going back to someone who never once looked at you like a boss, never once, you know, saw you in that way. They had, they had, you know, the version of you from over long ago in their head. And it kind of strips you of a lot of the stuff that you've been worried about building up or accumulating in the meantime. Um, and it doesn't always work because there's some things about, you know, where you were back then that you left behind for a reason and you don't, have any intention of resurrecting but sometimes it can be really interesting to um kind of strip away some of the context that we've kind of accumulated as we've moved along uh, by going back to someone who knew us a long time ago
1: so so that's that's pretty cool um because i was thinking about baby lieutenant me and i was thinking about all the cool cool guys and, and and uh gals that i met as lieutenant henderson um, and we did, like, it was like this conglomerate of little young, impressionable, little crazy army officers, um, and now, and thinking about, I had that in two phases. I had going into the military, but then when I transitioned out in 2015, in this kind of new core group of folks who were individual contributors with me, um, you know, at the various organizations that I started my career off on, and now, like, you have me thinking about, like, all of those people, like, that I used to go to lunch with, that I just used to hang out with. And like you said, it was the, the need to put on or to kind of, you know, frame because I'm like trying to impress somebody. It was like that totally was stripped from our conversations and we were getting to, to the real things fast and, and just pulling those relationships forward, um, or, or at least, you know, reaching out just to say <laughs> what's up, um, it is is man, that's, That's the sauce right there. Being conscious about and being intentional about how do we build relationship as a strength? How do we build community as an intentional practice? Um, Man, man, this sounds really familiar to like some some the way we used to build communities and neighborhoods Mm kind of coming up. And and it's just getting back, getting back to the basics of it all. Getting back to the humanity of it all.
0: Well, and I think that was so funny. So this last weekend Memorial Day weekend. There's a big music uh, festival in in Napa called Bottle Rock every Memorial Day weekend. I spent Sunday flanked by two people that I've been friends with since that job back in 2000. And you know, they're not people that I was seeing on a daily basis until I moved back. And it's like it was just so one, on one, we had a conversation at one point because obviously we're all you know 22 years older than we were <laughs> back then, and so you know we're we're sitting around talking and like all of us you know we all have like gray hair now and like we're like we all just look different and and yet there are still moments where you start talking and and some of the the old jokes will surface and you're like oh my god yeah we really have known each other for a long long time and you know and some of the stuff that like you know in the in the interim we've gotten caught up in or wrapped up in isn't isn't part of the dynamic that existed just because you know we predate that and so there's there's something sort of um almost humbling about about that in a way that you're like oh good just let your hair down and kick back and relax
1: And, and I think that's a part of it too right is the practice of do I feel okay with letting my hair down right and I think that's That's the ageism of it all is not not getting too inside your own head about it. And just and again, understanding that there's there's some trust that needs to be built. And the only way that you can do it is put one foot in front of the other to to extend yourself to and open yourself up for the opportunity for for relationship. And and I think that's that's always been my deal is how hard I am on people because I try to qualify them before. They actually even tell me what they're signing themselves up for. Um, and so my like, like like you know, you know my qualifier, my super extreme qualifier is, are you gonna die for me? Um, are you going to war? Uh if, if something happens, and I'm like, look, dude, stop being so intense. Um, but but I think that that is a well. Re- no, that's
0: what that's what Dupree says. You you friend hard, right? Like, <laughs> like I think is like the greatest way of of phrasing it. But it's interesting too because actually, I gotta say, Brooks talks about that in the book. Also, is that one of the things that he and his wife have realized, partially, and and you know, you guys have done it too, just like we have, that when you. When you have a tendency of moving around a lot, sometimes it's actually really hard because you, right. you know you're not necessarily physically close to people that maybe have known you for 20 years. Yep. Um, and so some of that becomes okay, great now. And especially when you're then coming back to okay, so it's you know me and my partner. How do we find friends that you know we're both good with? And so one of the things he talked about was that as as he and his wife have moved yet again to a new place, and they've been trying to you know kind of build up their circle of friendship, they've been very uh, deliberate about kind of the way they drive conversation. So they get away from talking about vacations or gardening or other stuff and focus on the more like really important core meaningful stuff. And it's kind of an early weeding process, right? For people who are like, where where it becomes clear that, yep, there's just no alignment there. It's like, okay, no harm, no foul. Thank you. Great dinner. Mm -hmm. Move on. But we know now that that's not a fit. That's not, you know, doesn't have that kind of, Synergy or, or, or compatibility that we're really looking for. Um, so then we move on to the next one. And so he said, you know, it was actually they, they, they've made a deliberate effort to do that, to help kind of jumpstart and then quickly weed out as quickly as possible. ones who might seem like good candidates at first, but then yeah, it turns out not so much.
1: Yeah, I, li- I like that because that that's been the uh, what virtual introduced to to spaces because I, I didn't have to hang out in a room with you and you're only on my calendar for 30 minutes and and so I, we, we we don't have the luxury to talk with the fluff and all the rest of the stuff it's like hey how how can we support each other what does this look like um would you reach out on linkedin to me for like we're like what like what's what's the thing and i and i love that particularly because that's authentic like it's just like okay am i, I going to connect on some things that are important to us and i think in relationships, like we, we there there's some owners, like I'm taking ownership and not being a little bit selfish, um, because I'm like, I want to know like who, and it's like you and, and several other leaders. I was telling somebody that, you know, just sent me those little notes, right. And when I was going through, through my stuff and just say, Hey, checking on you, buddy. And that's it. And, and so for me, I think as we get older, like that becomes increasingly more important yeah. to do, I have a collection of those people who can, hold space for me and in all of life stuff that comes along with relationships so now great topic man golly this was good. okay so
0: now question for you yep. not physical we're gonna strip out the physical because that's that's the one everybody everybody accepts yep. even reluctantly give me two or three things that you find yourself not as good at now that you used to be good at, didn't used to think anything of, used to take for granted, and now you find are considerably harder to do.
1: Um, Similar to yours, I was, um, I could recall numbers and things like I, like off of one time seeing something. I I could, you know, paragraph 4B of this book um, said this. Now I'm like, I know the book. I see the book. Um, So so that's one. Um, Two is um, just the ability to, like I'm quick on my feet. Like I really am quick on my feet. But now I'm noticing that I have to bullet things a lot more. Um, And and so when people think I rift, it's because I practice. It's, it's that's yeah. So those those are my two.
0: So that's how you've adapted is by practicing oh, now.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I, that would actually have to be mine too. So that like the memory thing in particular, I didn't used to think anything of it. I could. I, in fact, I could be someplace where I wasn't even part of someone's conversation. I was just, especially in an office, you know, office space with cubicles, you can overhear people over here and people over there. And I could hear stuff and glean, you know, random tidbits that might not seem pertinent today, but two days from now, I'm in another conversation and like, oh, hey, no, that's going on over there. I know that, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, as much, like, I, I can't, assume that I do that anymore. Um, And the other one is uh, like more of that, like taking notes. And one of the things that I really realize now is I never learned how to take notes in school. Mm -hmm. I listened work. Like I have for years, I moved around and I carried so many stupid notebooks with me and I would And I have this like weird attraction to notebooks. I'll buy a notebook and I'll use it for like two days and then I won't use it again. (laughs) So I used to lug around with me from house to house to house to house, all of these notebooks where I would use it. You could go back and you could look at it. And I was good about dating them. So at least I could tell when I was doing it, but I'd get like a spurt of like one week and then like nothing. And then like three years later, you'd see another spurt of like one week and then like, you know, nothing for another year and a half. And then, and, the, and I never got good at taking notes because I didn't need to be. And now I am paying that price so terribly because I can't keep that stuff in my head the way that I did. I can't have like the instant recall of, oh, so-and-so said this, or this happened on this day at this time. Like none of those things are are at my beck and call the way they used to be so that one yeah having to go back and teach myself how to take notes and to remember that it's like you know a muscle memory because I'll get involved in a conversation next thing I know I've stopped taking notes and then the the conversation ends and I'm like oh crap.
1: I love it I love
0: it yeah that gets me into a lot of trouble so all righty pal well that was that was all I had for today did you have anything else on this one
1: no, just uh, thank you so much for pulling this forward and also dropping great book recommendations.
0: Yeah, always, always. Well, and also, like I said, uh, Arthur Brooks has a really great series in the Atlantic. So he's he's ongoing stuff. He got a lot of research that went into the book and a lot of stuff that didn't fit into the book. So it's it's going in into his his articles in the Atlantic. So anyway, have a wonderful week, my friend. And it's so great it's chance to talk to you again. Yes,
1: ma'am. Always a pleasure. Until next time.
0: Absolutely. I will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining me and Lawrence in this week's episode of Grow or Die. Join us next week when we'll take on our next topic. In the meantime, have a fantastic week.